welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace, here again with Freya Spence, and today we have our first return guest to the podcast. About a year and a half ago, we decided to start up this podcast, and we were joined by the lovely Jackie Mercopolis to talk all about poop. Now, gut health remains a very hot topic, and so we decided to have Jackie come back on the show to discuss topics such as bloating, constipation, and causes of digestive issues that go a little bit further than eat more fiber or drink more water. Jackie herself is an intuitive healing artist with a combined 17 years of experience, both working and teaching in the health and wellness industry. A fascination with the human body has led Jackie to become an expert in digestive health, and her free spirit makes her an excellent choice for a chat about poop. Jackie has recently married her passions for food and health by becoming a certified culinary nutritionist, and she combines these skills along with her mindful meditation education to deliver wellness retreats in beautiful Costa Rica. Her number one mission is to help people tune into their own body and individual needs, and that theme rings true throughout this entire podcast. As always, please subscribe and share, and now let's dive into 60 minutes of gut health and poop talk with the one and only Jackie Mercopolis. Enjoy. So for our listeners, today's podcast came about because of a comment made about people being more curious about their pets or children's bowel movements than their own. So our clients will know we take a vested interest in gut health because it's a critical point of feedback from the body. But that said, although poop emojis have been made cute and gut health has been in the spotlight, there's still a lack of knowledge when it comes to understanding and interpreting internal health by way of bowel movements. So Hopefully, from this podcast, people can take away enough information to avoid complications down the line that would lead you to a specialist's office. And who better to discuss poop with than our good friend Jackie, who is an expert in all things poop and gut related. Hi, guys. How's it going, Jackie? It's going great. And I'm very happy to be speaking with you guys about this. It's a topic that I not only uh, have some expertise in, but I'm actually like super fascinated and obsessed with a little bit. I have fecal fascination, 100%. Fecal fascination. That's great. We'll, uh, we'll hashtag this podcast with fecal fascination. That's excellent. Perfect. So Jackie was actually our very first uh, podcast guest in 2018, I guess, uh, and now is our first second time guest. Do you feel special, Jackie? I feel so special. So special. I'm very honored. And when you said the date to that, I was like, was that that long ago already? Wow. Yeah. uh, We looked at the dates of the original one and we're like, oh, time has flown. Although right now time is weird because i don't know what month it is most of the day what's time yeah (laughs) time it's a construct yeah every day now is the same and time goes slow and fast at the same time i'm not really sure how that works but that feels like the purgatory i'm in at the moment (laughs) i would say go with it (laughs) for better or worse Mm -hmm. um so 
I think all three of us share a goal with clients to help them get curious about all aspects of their health. And most recently, you've had a really big push in your professional practice to get people curious about this crucial area of the body, our gut. And so within your practice over the last year or two, especially now that you're guiding retreats more intensively than before... How have you guided clients in drawing attention to their bowels and broached comfort with this topic, particularly in a retreat setting? Well, it's interesting how that's shifted first from like my actual clinical practice when clients would come and see me, whether it was like once a month or once every six weeks versus now shifting over to more of a a retreat setting. I get to spend seven to 10 days with these people. So I'm waking up with them. I'm going to bed like I am in their face about it. And it's, um, I get more information that way because I'm with them for like an extended period of time consecutively. So, I mean, I start the day, my first question, well, let me back up for a second before I even start asking them every morning when they wake up, it's one of the first things that I bring up as part of my orientation, whether it's a one-on-one personal retreat or it's, it's a group setting because there's, there's so much stigma around talking about poop, for example, um, and that people just are embarrassed about it, whether it's something that you were taught to, you know, to keep it hush hush when you were younger, or it's just something that was like, you didn't talk about this. It's like bathroom talk only. So I just first like to take away the stigma and like ask everyone like what their poop schedule is. And then everyone kind of giggles awkwardly. And I was like, no, seriously, like this is going to be a huge topic of this week. And I want to take away any embarrassment or any stigma around it because I'm going to be asking you guys and I want you guys to openly talk about it. So it's like, I kind of just strip it away right from the beginning and kind of people are kind of shocked and then people giggle and then they're like, actually, they get into it as the week goes on. So it's interesting also to watch that evolution once you take away the embarrassment or the negative aspect around talking about poop and bringing, you know, the, the information and the curiosity into it. So it's, I first wanted to just share how interesting it is for me to like shift from seeing people once in a while to now seeing them every day for seven days or 10 days, which is usually how the retreats work, which is very interesting. And um, I, I talk about it right away too, because we all know that like traveling is like number one thing that can really cause some changes in our bowel movements from constipation or the other opposite end of diarrhea because whether you're feeling anxious or whether you're in a new setting and you're like oh my god am I going to have access to a bathroom am I sharing a room with someone am I going to share a bathroom with someone like there's so many other elements that come up so stripping that away right from the get-go completely changes I think the experience for people so that first and foremost has been one of the most interesting things that I've noticed of just shifting people's thought process around the whole thing. Yeah, that's fantastic and and building comfort. But also to your point about having multiple days, I think that sometimes when we ask clients, um, they're just used to not really tuning into it. So when you ask them about it, if you haven't been with them every day, and most of us over here aren't, it's very easy to forget until they start to actively track it and talk about it. And then they realize, oh yeah, this is the pattern that's emerging now. Mm -hmm. Now on these retreats, I just like to ask because something that is common as you mentioned when people travel or when they're anxious that does throw off their bowel movements so in your retreats do you often run into a circumstance where somebody might be constipated for you know the first few days of the retreat or might not go all week oh a hundred percent a hundred percent and um, everyone's a little bit different, but because I have that conversation right out the gate, I tell them, I'm like, I'm going to be asking you guys about it after, like, after we eat every meal, I'm going to be asking you guys how you're feeling. I'm going to be asking you guys how you're feeling an hour later after we eat. 
And every morning, I promise you guys that the first question I'm going to ask you after I say good morning is, how was your poop? So it's like, we're already talking about it. And then everyone, you know, I think it takes a few, like a day or two for some people to like really comfortably bring it up. But then once everyone's doing it, it's like the number one topic of conversation and everyone's starting to compare and like talk about it in more depth. So I think it ranges, but constipation is probably more common in my experience than the other end of the spectrum when it comes to people traveling in a new setting, whether it's like how many hours, if there's like a time change also involved. So constipation is probably the number one and it's the first thing that we kind of, I try and address with them and I offer them different solutions around it. Not only bringing the awareness, but I also let them know, like I have, for example, diffusers, essential oil diffusers in every single room. And I have different blends that are specifically designed for travelers, whether it's an immune uh, boosting blend or whether it's a constipation blend or whether it's a sleep improvement blend. So I'm already getting them aware of like noticing how they're feeling and giving them options of like, okay, this is the first strategy or solution that we can get to get things moving, for example. So offering them that solution, bringing their attention around their food and how they're feeling after they're eating. You know, a lot of people are eating very differently when they come to my retreats because everything that I make is from scratch you will very, very rarely, I would actually like to say, never find something processed. It's usually organic because of the locations that I run my retreats. I have access to really fresh, local, organic produce. So right away, most people are eating very differently than they would. So that alone can either cause kind of good results or it can cause, depending on how poor their diet is coming into it, can also cause a backup in the system because their system's kind of like, whoa, what's going on? This is new. We're trying to figure things out. So I would say that it's very different across the board, but definitely more common. The constipation one is huge, huge thing. And it's usually the number one topic that we discuss over the first couple of days. And we get into like the physical aspect. Like I said, different strategies around it. We talk about the psycho-emotional aspect, the food aspect, again, with the number one purpose of bringing awareness to the topic and then getting them curious about using their body as their own science experiment. You know, like we have the ability to like literally examine our bodies, look at our poop in the toilet bowl and get so much information about that. But some people don't, they're not even aware of it again, because whether they were told that's just like flush the toilet, don't even look, Uh, You know, it's a very private thing, whatever stigma or conditioned thought process they've been uh, exposed to around the topic is like taking that away, bringing the awareness and then getting them curious. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that uh, we touched on on travel and constipation in our own conversations or potentially even on our first podcast and just that like there's almost that heightened sense of not knowing where a safe place to go will be. So we just, it's way easier for our bodies to just kind of like hold on to it. Um, And so aside from, from things like diffusers, what are some of your first recommendations to resolve or triage this with clients when it occurs? So one thing that I do invite people to do, like, again, as soon as they arrive, and this is something that I've learned by my own personal experience of going to retreats of my own where I'm the client, because I'm obsessed with my poop schedule. Like it's a very like scheduled, like time specific thing for me. And one thing that I've done to take away the potential of me getting constipated is if I'm sharing a room or a washroom with someone, as soon as I meet them, I'm like, what time do you poo in the morning? (laughs) 
and they kind of look at me like, whoa, that's a personal question. I'm like, no, seriously, like I'm seven o'clock. So like, are you a seven o'clock, seven thirty? Like, I just want to gauge so that we're not running into a problem where we're stressed out about needing the washroom at the same time, which that alone can cause the constipation. So that's what I invite anyone who's sharing a room or sharing a toilet, like a washroom with someone, I, I tell them to have a conversation. And some people are on a very strict schedule. Some people really are all over the place, so they might not even know. So just even bringing that question up again, brings another layer of awareness, but taking away that like nervousness about it. Like, oh my God, I'm sharing a washroom. Like, I don't want to have to go at the same time as them and all that. So that would be another strategy is just have the conversation. If you are sharing a washroom, whether it's on a retreat or it's at home, you're a family of seven, there's only two washrooms, like come up with a, a toilet schedule or, or, you know, and again, for some people you can't really gauge it because it's not as specific, but having that conversation again, takes away like the concern and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing that I offer people around, because embarrassment, especially when you're in a retreat setting, there's like the travel component, but there's also like you're with people you don't know. So the embarrassment part of it is a big real thing that a lot of people experience. So offering, you know, whether it's like essential oils or like incense or like letting them know that there's like a stick of like Palo Santo in the washroom, because some people are also nervous, like, oh my God, we all know that when we go to the washroom, it's not the most pleasant smell, which can also be a huge indicator of what's going on in your system. But um, letting them know that there's like, hey, come up with a schedule. There's things available in the washroom to like cover the smell if that's something that you're concerned about. To just like, those are kind of the superficial things. But I do, I have noticed that they do bring people comfort. And I can guarantee that every time that like I've gone into a washroom after someone, people laugh about it, but I can tell that they've burnt that incense or they lift that match or they've done it. So they're using it. So bringing that comfort to people in a group setting like that has also been proven to help. Getting more into like the physical aspects of it is is the food piece. I mean, one of the biggest issues I've experienced around people experiencing constipation with their diet is like lack of fiber. And because a lot of people are eating a lot of processed foods, pre-made foods, restaurant food, whatever it is, there's a huge lack of dietary fiber in the food that they're consuming, which when they're coming into my setting now and they're eating all like beautiful, like local produce that's full of dietary fiber, that alone is taking away some of the physical aspect because what they're actually putting in their body is very different compared to what they might be doing on a regular basis at home. Yeah. For, first of all, I, I love that when we asked you about constipation, your first recommendations, it's great that really you're talking more about stress and anxiety and things that are not related to food at all. Because typically when people are constipated, they immediately go to, oh, I'm going to take a laxative or I need more fiber or you go right to yeah. the food source. But most of the time in my experience, and I think you'd agree is that this really comes from more of a, a psycho-emotional perspective. And I love that you kind of touched on that first because I think that's a, a step that a lot of people skip. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you go back to your comment about fiber? Mm-hmm. In my experience, especially with people with IBS, for example, mm-hmm. adding more fiber isn't always the solution. So yeah. there's different reasons people get constipated, as we've just discussed. Mm-hmm. In my experience with people who have IBS who might eat a high fiber diet already, and then they try and load on more and more fiber to try and get things moving can actually make things worse. Do you have much experience with that? Oh, a hundred percent. I would agree with that with people that have like that more irritation type of um, stool, like that IBS adding more fiber is, is not usually the answer because as you just said, it, it will 
cause more problems. So that would be kind of like different than, you know, the constipation client where it's more like they're just struggling to get it out, period. So I would I would definitely agree with that. Struggling to get it out just brought this to mind. We're all fans of the Squatty Potty. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) to the point where we would find ways to like fabricate our own while traveling. Uh, Do you have those throughout your retreats? Yes, I definitely, um, because my retreats are very much holistic, we're dealing with physical components, we're dealing with the psychoemotional components, we're dealing with nutritional components. So part of the physical component is educating them a first on their digestive system. So, you know, we've done before blog uh, posts about just the anatomy of the digestive system and the anatomy of even the the connective tissue and the fascia around the, the digestive system. So we're talking about like getting people moving and stretching to open up certain areas. And part of that conversation is to going to, okay, now that we've opened up and been aware and, and created awareness around the physical piece, what's the best optimal position for us to be in while we're passing stool, which then comes to one of my favorite washroom tools, the, the squatty potty. And whether it's something that you have that you buy or you have made, or you like figure it out with like, you know, a, a brick or a, a piece of wood that you find outside, depending on where you are, or like some, some encyclopedias. I was going to say phone books, but I realized that way dates me. <laughs> they don't exist anymore, but no. you're old. Right there with you, Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) So anything that you can, but like educating someone on the best position to get that like, you know, knees above the hips position, whatever you need to do to elevate your feet to get there. Absolutely. As you brought up that question, I just thought I said I that was one of the things that I really missed um, being in Costa Rica where I am currently was I missed my squatty potty because it's not the most convenient thing to pack up because it can be pretty bulky. So I have a carpenter friend here that made me one. And as I'm sitting here, I'm like, I have one, but I should totally have one made for every single washroom. So thank you for bringing that up because I'm definitely going to get him to make one for every single bathroom that I have for <laughs> Treat Center because it, it's a game changer. It is like, literally, we can talk about all of the psycho-emotional, all of the nutritional, all of that. But sometimes the answer is literally getting your knees above your hips. Yeah. Well, and and on the note about hips too, we find that a lot of people aren't aware that just going for a walk is crucial. Like you can sit around all day and be super uncomfortable. And that's part of the reason constipation can happen so easily after travel is people have spent a, they've got acute stress or uncertainty, but then they also have spent a significant amount of time in one jacked up position in a car or on a plane and just going for a walk. Like we joke, we need to just go walk some farts out because it gets things moving. And literally from a a biomechanical standpoint, like the moving your hips like that and having that just little bit of massaging with your breathing as well helps things move through. And a lot of people just don't realize like if they're really bunged up, go for a walk yeah. instead of grabbing laxative or instead of grabbing even the natural ones. Like they're really abrasive on the gut. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I am so against taking anything orally like that to solve the problem when there's like, okay, let's look at the big list of other things we can address. That should be like a last, like the end of the end, you know? And even yeah. I, I question it sometimes, but there's so many other things that people should be trying before they resort to that. I mean, that's how we're conditioned. It's like, well, I need a quick fix. Like, let me take this pill. But the thing is that people think that's the quick fix when really going for a walk um, or like giving yourself an abdominal massage 
or, you know, stretching a little bit, getting things moving, like you guys said, that could actually be a quicker fix. So people think like the length of time in which they're doing it seems like not a quick fix, but it's a better fix because it's actually addressing more of the problem than just like putting some, you know, chemicals down your your belly that are doing more harm than good, really. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have to remember that the human body evolved, has evolved for how long now? Like we're a pretty fine-tuned, well-oiled machine and the body can do a lot of things on its own. So for example, the heart pumps blood, cool. But if you move the body and use the muscles, then the muscle will actually pump blood around the body and save the heart. Mm -hmm. Good for health long term. It's the same thing if you're digestively, if you're sitting, you eat a meal and it just sits there in the gut and you don't move at all. Well, the body can still digest the food, Mm -hmm. but do you want to make it a little bit easier? Move the hips and walk because the walking gait will stimulate peristalsis, which is the movement of how the gut passes stuff through it to get to the end. So the body can do a lot of stuff by itself, but there are things that we can do like moving Mm -hmm. that encourage all these bodily functions to be more efficient. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. And that's why too, like whether it's walking or even like you guys mentioned, people are traveling, like they're sitting in a plane for X amount of hours and everything's kind of locked up. One of the things that I also do as soon as people arrive is like we have a stretch session because they literally, they're whether they're sitting in a, in a plane for a while and then they're sitting in a shuttle to get them from the airport to the house, like that's a lot of hours in one position. So walking, moving, stretching, like get things going because as you said, body can do a lot of things on its own, but we can also do very simple things to help that process along more efficiently than any pill can do. Mm -hmm. And aside from constipation, the other most common thing that uh, we discussed in the blog series was bloating and Mm -hmm. uh, bloating with small amounts of food, large amounts of food frequently or within patterns. Where can people direct their curiosity to first when it comes to bloating? Bloating is very interesting, in my opinion, because it can be so many different things. And I think that people, whether it's from media or like commercials that they've seen or whatever, like people are so can be so narrow minded when it comes to that, where they like automatically think, oh, the bloating came from the beans that I ate or the bloating came from the cabbage or the bloating came from the fact that I ate too fast. And like the food is like barely even chewed by the time it gets to my, you know, small intestines, which is a big, big one. But the thing is with bloating, I mean, we can look at it in a few ways. If we look at it from a food intake standpoint, yes, it can be those cruciferous vegetables, the broccoli, the cabbage, the kale, things like that. And there's easy ways to, if you're thinking that it's that, to try certain things out, to kind of rule that out. Things like massaging your cabbage or your kale, like if you want to eat it in a raw form, like chopping it up finely and like massaging it with olive oil to like, what that does is it almost pre-digests it and breaks it down, which makes it a little bit easier on our digestive system. So if you're thinking that it's something along those lines, then trying something like that out could work. The thing that I want to bring up with that is if you're thinking that, you know, you're getting bloated because of a certain vegetable that you're eating, I invite people to look at a bunch of other things that they're eating, whether it's a bunch of like condiments, whether it's a bunch of, you know, like what's their alcohol intake? Like there's so many other irritants that could also be contributing to the bloating when you're actually eating. And I know that we've had many conversations about this before of like, cleaning up what you're putting in your body in terms of like the least amount of process, the least amount of condiments. Cause people I, I find blame 
certain vegetables. And, and for some people, I don't want to say that it's never the kale's fault because sometimes that's not good for certain people. But strip away like all of the other garbage that you're putting in you know, your body first, because those can be very irritating before you go directly and blame that. And then trying to prepare it in a different way could also change the bloating that you experience with food. So that's from like more of like a nutrition standpoint. Then we go to the eating too fast, which is a huge, huge, huge one. I think that's very overlooked. People are in a rush, whether you're at an office and you only have five minutes to shovel it in and all of that kind of stuff. Eating too fast. I mean, our digestion starts when we even think about food, when we look at the food, like our, our, you know, our mouth starts to salivate. And those are things like we have the food in our mouth, we're chewing it. We need to chew it. That thing that we, we were told when we were younger, like chew your food 20 times before you swallow it. Like that's a real thing because that's the first parts of digestion. So if you're eating way too fast and you're literally swallowing chunks of food that are getting to your stomach and they're way too big, the stomach's trying to work hard and then they get into the small intestine and the small intestine's like, whoa, like this is way too much for us to handle. Boom, reaction is bloating. So taking our time when we're eating putting the fork down between every bite, you know, slowly being more mindful about how we're actually ingesting the food is also a huge, huge culprit that I find. And I noticed that like a lot of times, again, I'm speaking specifically from my experience with retreat people is like, we're never rushing to eat. So I tend to see bloating factor go down extremely. And I mean, I like to invite people in this time that we're in right now, where we're all at home, We can't go into our offices. We're not going into work and stuff like that. People have a zero, zero excuse for rushing to eat. I I personally think in this time. So like using this time to even experiment that if you experience bloating, let's look at the, the aspect of eating too quickly. I invite everyone to slow down, take the time, whether you're, you know, living by yourself or you're with a partner or you have a family, like make it a sacred time where you're sitting down. You're slowly, you know, mindfully eating and notice if that changes because a lot of people, especially office workers and Fran and I, we chatted about this the other day, they're, they're racing, you know, they A, feel guilty to even leave their desk to have lunch and let alone then when they do decide they're like shoveling it in so quickly and then they're going back. So like we have to give our body a chance as well to, you know, to do its thing. But part of that is just slowing down. And right now is no better time than any for people to test that out and see if it changes the bloating factor for them. Because I find that the speed of people eating is a huge one for that. Yeah, we were just chatting about how at this particular point in time, people are, uh, we have clients that are reporting less inflammation than usual. And in large part, it's just because they're eating at home rather than having, you know, anywhere from five to 20 meals out per week where they cannot control the ingredients. They cannot control whether it is processed or not, or whether they're good quality fats or, or not. Um, and so that alone has reduced it, but also bringing attention even just to the speed at which we can consume processed food is interesting because certain foods like Dane jokes, processed foods can be eaten like a duck, you know, just like gulped down without chewing. Um, We're humans, we need to chew. So there is a unique potential that even though stress is really quite high for a lot of people at this current moment, there's also the, the catch that on the flip side, 
the level of processed foods being taken in is probably a little bit lower or a lot lower for some. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, you're absolutely right. Like there is time. And we've always had this debate where if you don't actually feel like you have time to stop and eat, it's better to just skip that meal until you do have time to focus on it. I would agree with that a hundred percent. Um, because you know, it's, it's hard on our system to eat fast like that. It's not, it's not good. And I, I take this time again to invite people. We are in a time right now where most people, not most, everyone is at home. So take this time and like experiment with yourself, experiment with eating, this, eating slower, experiment with like monitoring your stress levels. Everyone's stress and anxiety right now. It's still there, but it's, it's kind of in a different form because they're not maybe stressed about the same thing. They're stressed for different things. So like, I invite people to use this time to like really do a self-assessment and really start to tune in to the messages that our body is giving us. Tune in to trying different things, whether like you said, people are eating less processed. I totally agree. Processed food is literally, like you said, like a duck, just gulp it down and our body really doesn't have to do anything. Um, So taking the time to like, okay, am I eating less processed? Um, am I eating slower? What happens to my body when I eat it slower? Am I getting bloated? Am I getting less bloated? And then looking in the toilet, like when you pass that stool, don't flush it right away. Like turn around and just like sit there and get curious and see, you know, our poop tells us so much. So right now, like for people to be like, ah, I don't have time. That's not the case right now. We all have time and there's no better time right now than to literally use our bodies, like really tune into our bodies, build that awareness and get curious. All right. Well, I'm about to get real curious here, Jackie. So (laughs) every morning I go to the washroom and I poop. Um, so if I wanted to figure out, you know, what is my poop telling me? Are there any key things I should be looking for? Absolutely. First, we want to look at the consistency of the poop, right? I mean, ideally they say like the length of your forearm is, you know, the ideal, if you think about the large intestine, that horseshoe shape of it and the length of it, when it comes out, it should be like ideally in, you know, that nice little kind of like C shape or like an S shape. And it should be about the length of your forearm. That's like the standard, typical, healthy, healthy poop. So consistency is huge. That would be number one. Number two is the color of it. The color can tell us a lot of stuff. And there is the thing like people, you can go on the internet and look up like a poop diagram and there's like all these different colors and it can tell you things. And it can be slightly different. Color can be a little tricky just because, you know, we all know when we eat beets, what happens? We're all thinking like, oh my God, I'm dying. But it's like, no, actually I just had some beets yesterday. So we have to be a bit cautious with the color because um, certain foods can definitely skew that. But consistency would be number one. Color would be number two. How, like, how does it feel when you're passing? If it's like a nice, easy breezy, you're sitting on your toilet, you got your squatty potty and you're just like, wow, this feels good. Are you straining, you know, to get to pass it? Is it just like everybody out and like one of those big explosive ones that we've all, I'm sure, experienced before? So from how your body's feeling while you're passing it to the consistency that it has to the color that it has to even looking at, is there a chunk in there that looks exactly like it did when I ingested it? You know what I mean? Like that's a huge tell sign. You can tell if, did you chew your food? Because if that blueberry looks like it did (laughs) the same way when it went in, then maybe you got to say, okay, I need to be a little bit more mindful and chew my food a little bit more. 
you know, if, if there's like little bits of, you know, corn is another one that a lot of people have a hard time digesting. If, if that corn looks like it did when it can't, went in, then, you know, that's a, a sign that something's not right. If there's, you know, one thing that I've um, had experience with before with like candida and stuff like that is like, I've actually seen like big chunks of like white yeast in my stool, which can be a sign of, uh, you know, candida and like yeast overgrowth. So consistency, color, and then also like what's in there, it, you know, can I identify specific things in my stool um, is also a big tell sign for things that you might not be digesting, that your body might not be absorbing. And then also back to, are you eating too fast? Chew your food. Mm-hmm. We, <laughs> I'm going to pick on one quote unquote mm-hmm. superfood because I'm a person within the population that can tolerate some foods sometimes and not at all other times. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of like trial and error over time to develop the patterns of what will be digested when and how much of it can I consume before it becomes a problem and I have to remove it again. But I think there are certain foods out there that are purported to be really beneficial to our health based on what they look like under a microscope or separated out. And quinoa is one of them. And I have yet to meet someone who can actually, if they remove their bias, their cognitive bias towards being told it's a superfood and consume it, I have yet to meet someone who actually tolerates that well. I would agree with that. I actually am someone too that has issues with quinoa. And so I've really like experimented because again, I like to use my body as an experiment. So I'm hearing, oh, quinoa is the best. There's protein in it. It's like this superfood and yada 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 so I'm like okay let me let me check this out so I was eating it for a while eating it, but I, like for number one it bloats me it literally like instant so then I did more research I said okay like how could I ingest it differently so there's things you can soak your quinoa which can remove some of the proteins that like people have a hard time digesting it like removes the coating on the outside so I'm gonna soak it soaking it didn't work either okay and then you can sprout it so like I sprouted it I soaked it I did all the things and it still wasn't working for me and every time I pass it I'm like nope it looks exactly like it did when it went in so for me I was like okay this might be said superfood but my body is not having it and I've tried again I didn't want to completely like disregard it I'm like I'm going to do research and I'm going to try to see if there's different ways that I can prepare it or anything that it would work for me and it just it really doesn't it really doesn't. And it looks exactly the same. I know people yeah. that, that don't have issues with it, but I know far more that do. And so I think it's really important also for people to be a little bit more scrutinous when they're getting that, like, this is superfood and this, this, like eat this and that, like, we need to also kind of like sit back and use our bodies and experiment and kind of make decisions for ourselves because FYI, not everything that we get told out there is is the truth. <laughs> For sure. And, it, and when it comes to quinoa in particular, when we did some of our learning, we did a few uh, f- functional nutrition seminars and it has a protein structure that's incredibly aggravating and not one that you can actually remove through soaking. So yeah. that we found was super interesting because it definitely flew in the face of it being a superfood because when you look at it in the gut itself, it does not behave that way. Mm-hmm. Um, under a microscope, it may look a different way but when you put it into the gut and have it interact with your gut interface it, mm-hmm. it changes the picture a little bit 
And um, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the hardest things for a lot of people in societies. We are inundated with information of this is amazing and that is incredible and you should remove all histamine or you should go fully plant-based. And really somewhere between all of that is the appropriate answer for a lot of people. But to your mm-hmm. point, experimenting and being curious, but then also critical of removing those cognitive bias. Like I started eating nuts at a time where I was told without question that I needed to have them in my diet. I didn't like the way yeah. they made me feel. I felt like itchy. I had reactions to them on a gut level and a skin level, but I was eating them because logically people had told me, like various nutritionists and dietitians had told me that you need to have these to have a good variety within your fat profile. Well, at the end of the day, removing them was one of the best things ever <laughs> and resolved a lot of gut issues. So, it, you know, everything comes with a grain of salt. And I think, you know, getting away from any level of dogma, you know, there might be somebody out there listening and being like, quinoa makes me feel amazing. Cool. That's totally fine. I just haven't met anyone. It doesn't mean they don't exist. <laughs> but removing yeah. the dogma is challenging because so much of our emotional ties also get wrapped up in foods and how they make us feel. Mm-hmm. Totally. And the thing too, like with this whole superfood word, the word superfood, I went one of my first, again, because I, I use my body as an experiment. I've tried like every single diet in quotations out there, or way of eating rather that I like to say from paleo to keto to, you know, all of it, vegan, plant-based, little pesky. I've, did, I've done it all. I've done it all. And for me, what works is like a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything, no extremes, but as part of my research and experimenting, I decided to go to this course a few years back and it was like done by one of my, one of my food mentors now, but uh, it was like this superfood breakfast class, you know, and I was like, oh, I want to go and check out these superfoods. I'm going to go learn how to make superfood breakfasts. And I went, signed <laughs> up, I went there and like the first five minutes of her intro, she's like, I got you guys all here by labeling this superfood breakfast. Yes. Huh? And like, we all, yep. Then we're like really excited to learn about these superfoods. She's like, let me tell you, superfoods are anything that's a real whole food. <laughs> we're all kind of like, what? She's like, no, anything that is whole, unprocessed, is full of nutrients, that is a superfood. So let's take away the, the, the obsession that we have with this big label of superfood and realize that if you eat real food, there's so much benefit that you can get out of this real food. But as to what you just said, Freya, we have to be decisive of what, what works for me. Nuts work for me. Great. I don't have any issue with nuts. I know that you have lots of issues. I have a lot of other friends and clients that have issues with nuts. So nuts can be great for some, but they might not work for all. Kale can be great for some. It might not work for all, you know, and the list goes on. So we need to really be more critical, as you said, and not get stuck in these labels of things and decide for ourselves by trying it out and asking our bodies, how does this make me feel? Noticing, how does this make me feel? And then deciding if it's a superfood specifically for you, because what might be a superfood in quotation for me might be treacherous and like so painful for someone else to eat. So we need to strip away the labels, eat real food, lessen the amount of processed food we eat, and then check in with ourselves and say, is this working for me? Yes or no. And for every single individual, that's going to be so different. So we really need to, instead of jumping on the train because it's working for everyone else, 
go in, inside and make decisions that work for us as individuals. Preach. Yes. Thank you. Before you went on your tangent, I was about to go on a tangent about superfood. So I'm really happy that you did that and took that off my plate. But yeah, it's true. Like any whole food, like any food that provides nutrition and that digests well within your body is a superfood for you. Plain and simple. Like that's as far as you have to take it. And quinoa is one of those great examples of this food that looks really good on paper. Like you put it in Mm -hmm. a bomb calorimeter and you figure out what's actually in this thing. It's like, well, great. It's gluten-free. It's got fiber. It's got protein. It's all these kind of things. That's great in a lab. Then you put it in Mm -hmm. a human's digestive system and it blows everyone up. Yeah, maybe not such a good choice. So you really have to take everything with a grain of salt, like you said, and just figure out what really works for you. Mm-hmm. And I do, I, I do want to say with that, because I've run into this so many times with clients, family, friends, clients, everybody that I've come in contact with, to be honest, is it's important, as we said, like, it's an individual thing. I really want to invite people who live with someone, whether it's a partner, or you have a family, like, I know that we want to cook one meal, and everyone gets the same meal, and that would be ideal. But I know, for instance, I'm going to use a friend of mine, for example, husband and wife that like she thrives off of more plant-based and like very little meat. And so they went on this kick and they were going to like eat, you know, healthy, healthier in quotations again. And they went on this plant-based and her husband felt like crap. He was like moody all the time. He was low energy. She felt amazing, but because she was cooking all the meals, it was like, I'm not going to cook two separate meals. Like this is what we're doing. But he felt so crappy all the time. And then as soon as he was like, forget about your diet, like I'm going back to eating more animal proteins and so forth, he started thriving again. So now that you have this couple that live together and ideally want to cook one meal and and eat, you know, so they're not cooking separate meals, but that doesn't, that's not ideal. That's not how people are going to thrive. So I also invite you guys, everyone, and I know this is very specific to you, you know, for Dane, because you guys have very, very different ways of eating that like people really need to make that individual decision. And if it's a matter of educating ourselves as a family, as a couple, whatever it is and saying, okay, you're going to cook your meal. I'm going to cook mine, or let's talk about more prepping so that we can both be thriving and happy. Not, no one should be adopting a certain way of eating just because it's convenient. Okay. Because let me tell you that you think that that's convenient, but feeling shitty in my opinion is way worse than the convenience of making one meal. So, you know, I want to get people again, inviting them to build the awareness, do the self check-ins. And then if it's a matter of saying, you know what, I have to cook a different meal for myself than I will for my husband or my partner or my daughter or son or whatever it is, then that's something that, you know, accept it because you are going to feel way better and you're going to be thriving. You're going to have way more energy where it's not even going to be on your mind. You're not going to care if you have to cook three meals because you're like, I don't care because I have so much energy because I feel amazing that this is the way I'm going to eat. This is the way that my husband's going to eat. This is the way that, you know, my wife's going to eat, whatever. And just accepting that because energy is a huge one that I constantly hear and people feel like, I know I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. Well, maybe it's because, you know, you're not really choosing the right things that work for you because you want to be convenient and accommodate everyone else in your household. So little things, food for thought for people of like, not every family or household needs to eat the exact same thing all the time because of convenience, because that ultimately might not allow you to thrive. Yeah. And I mean, you 
touched on it with Dane and I, we definitely have the same bases for the most part. Um, mm. But a lot of, uh, there's a whole shelf that's dedicated to Dane foods that Freya's allergic to, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is totally fine. Like it, it works really well. And I, I would say that one of the biggest things, biggest uh, issues apart from, from time and logistics that people often express is the embarrassment of speaking up. And I, I for one can attest to this I didn't have a problem mm. with my drug family growing up at all, but I do know that having like been in other relationships prior, it was very difficult to say I needed something different because that brought a lot of judgment. So I remember distinctly with an ex's family would get sick literally every time we spent time with them because I was trying to be polite and like figure out what I could have based on what was on the table without creating any sort of attention and without drawing criticism from them. And every time would be sick for anywhere from one to three weeks afterwards. And mm -hmm. it was an interesting, it was a very important lesson and time because looking back, I was just like, wow, that was ridiculous that I couldn't even speak up and be heard without heavy criticism or judgment. But a lot of people do find that with their families and they have a hard time saying, no, you know what? I'm not going to have that fifth piece of pie because, you know, one sat okay, but now the other four plus dairy plus wine is really hurting me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can totally resonate with that because that's a big thing for me. I used to, uh, it would make me feel so bad if like I went to someone's house and they prepared this meal for me, for me to be like, ah, like that doesn't really agree with me. So I can't, you know, I can't eat it. I would feel horrible. And I mean, this is something that culturally was kind of ingrained in me as well, because especially like my Greek culture, you go around to people's houses and they're like offering you stuff. And like, if you don't take that chocolate that they're offering you, like heaven forbid, like, you know what I mean? It would be so insulting. So there's like so much ingrained as well with that. So I'm glad that you brought that up of the embarrassment or like feeling guilty to like inconvenience someone or feel like you're disrespecting someone at the end of the day, if someone wants to look at us as disrespect or inconvenience, that's their thing. Because me eating something that's offered to me that doesn't really work for me, I'm more worried about being disrespectful to my own body now than I am to the person that's, you know, offering it to me. And I think that if we all took more responsibility and initiative to taking better care of ourselves and what works for us personally... I feel like everything would work so much more smoothly because we're constantly concerned of what other people are going to think or inconveniencing other people and so forth that we're totally ignoring the messages that our body's giving us. And I think that disrespecting ourselves physically, emotionally, energetically is far worse. And that's something that I've really had to work on personally to come out of that and to really say, no, like I'm going to eat what makes me feel good. And I don't care if you get insulted that I'm not going to eat what you prepared for me. You know, like I've, I'm so over that now. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up because guilt, embarrassment, all of those things are very real things for a lot of people. That could be a huge, a huge reason why their, their digestive system is, is not happy. And then there's like the actual piece of like eating the food that might not be right for you but then you want to layer the guilt that you feel by like oh my god I really don't want to eat it but I feel guilty that this person's offering to me like there's like oh my god it's like crappy food that's for you like crappy for you and then layer the guilt on top of that and all of the emotional pieces is just like a, a time bomb in your digestive system so we all need to take a more initiative and speak up for ourselves more and, and tune into that and say no like my body 
my rules and everyone else can worry about themselves and just stripping away all that BS that doesn't serve us. Yeah, big time. And uh, I, I always tell my clients who, are, who have these concerns with the, the guilt or worry is people in your life who love you are going to want you to be comfortable and to feel good. So if all the people around you are constantly giving you a hard time and making you feel like crap, you're probably hanging out with the wrong people. People who love you want you to feel good and want you to have control over your body. So just remember that those people, your family, you're on the same team and you're probably mm -hmm. a little bit more concerned than you need to be. Absolutely. Also, quick piece of advice. Uh, just one piece of pie is probably good. Don't go for four. <laughs> Uh, just, just, I don't really care who you are or how you digest things. One piece is going to be perfect. All right. So that's just a, a good general rule for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We definitely want to highlight something that you just said, Dane, because this is another piece too around digestive health that I think is a huge one that you just touched on. And sometimes digestive health means doing a little cleanse of the people that you're around straight up, you know, it's, uh, it's sometimes, like you said, if people really love you and they want the best for you, then they won't care if you have specific dietary needs or things. And that's something that I experienced with a few years back when I gave up drinking alcohol, it was hard because, you know, it was like, that was like a thing. Like you got together with your friends and like you would have some drinks and it was a huge shift for a lot of people in my circle to really accept. And they're like, Oh, like, Oh, you're still not drinking. And it's like, yeah, like it makes me feel crappy. I can also be like the fun person with just having a glass of water or, you know, a soda water or something like that. So sometimes doing a, a people cleanse is just as important as, you know, paying attention to the foods that you're putting in your body. Yeah, and I would take that one step further and say that means your inner circle and it's also the social media and other things that you expose yourself to because a lot of people will, you know, look at, oh, that person got this success on that diet, so I'm going to bounce to that diet now. Oh, that person doesn't eat that food. Okay, I'm going to take that out. And it's, you know, you yeah. might not think that it's affecting you, but subconsciously, any information that you take in is going to have an mm -hmm. impact on your behaviors and social media is an area that... I think a lot of people do need to cleanse and think, what am I really getting out of this? Absolutely agree with that 100%, especially now where people, you know, people are on social media, you know, at a high rate usually, but right now I think even more so because, you know, everyone's at home and not doing their regular things. So having that filter of really deciding of like what stimulus you're letting in your body and your mind everywhere from the circle of people you surround yourself to like the media that you're choosing to expose yourself to is is a huge piece because that's where it starts like you just said like oh that worked for that person i'm going to jump on that train oh this did that. i'm going to jump on that train people need to stop jumping on other people's trains and drive their own car <laughs> <laughs> love it or run beside it yeah it, it's interesting too because a lot of people don't don't realize just by proxy of exposure to something many, many times, they start to believe it to be true without having expressed any critical thinking. So they, if they keep seeing that, like, you know, counting calories and macros and removing X, Y, and Z from their diet is the way to go. And they keep seeing that exact same message on social media, which is not obviously fact-checked and does not have a peer review board or anything like that, they start to believe that to be true without having ever paused to question it and wonder where those things are coming from. Especially important now, we're, we're just trying to not go on it at all because it hurts my head. 
like extremely overwhelming and I think like the biggest takeaway if anything from this conversation that I want to invite people to kind of take in is tuning into yourself like our bodies no one knows you better than yourself so like taking the time like really turning in asking your body questions tuning into sensations messages that our body is giving us whether it's looking in the toilet at your poop whether it's like being aware of like a physical or emotional sensation that's arising in your body like Tuning into that is the ultimate, most important thing, I think, because we're all individuals. Um, there's so, we all experience things differently. We all have difference or everything, but all of it, we are individuals. Yes, we live collectively, all of that, but no one knows you better than you and taking the time to get like, to get in tune with you and like stripping away all of the external stimulus is so, so important and has, I know for me personally has served me the best out of any self-care tool that I've ever tried. It's first turning in instead of constantly reaching out for things. So that's a really important message that I want to get across to a lot of people that our bodies give us a lot of information and the information that my body gives me is going to be very different than the person next to me and so forth. So really taking the time to tuning into you and and listening to those messages and then fine tuning from there so that it works for you. Love that. In fact, I just this morning replied to somebody who asked me what the biggest tool was in healing my uh, spine issue. And mm -hmm. I said I can't pinpoint a specific tool, but I can tell you that tuning in and understanding which inputs, meaning work, stress, environment, people, training, everything, food included in that, which ones serve me and which ones heighten my symptoms. That was it. Like that was the biggest, if you can call that a tool, <laughs> listening to your body's yeah. feedback, that is the tool. Uh, all yeah. the various little methods you put into that can vary dramatically, including what you eat day to day. But you're absolutely right. Like tuning into your feedback and really understanding what your system does need to thrive is crucial and it's the best healthcare thing that people can have, especially at a time when we can't see other professionals right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have so much of that power within ourselves. And I'm not saying to ignore all information. I'm by no means beautiful information out there, but just like open up the blinders and everything that you see, like question it and like critically think about it and like pick, you know, what resonates with you and your body from each one. So, you know, at the same time as I'm saying tuning in, I'm not by any means saying ignore everything else. I'm just saying be more critical of deciding what works for you and what doesn't. And don't just like jump on, like have a knee jerk reaction to jump onto something because, you know, it's working for other people or it's the new craze that's happening. Absolutely. Ask more questions. Ask your body questions. Question everything that, you know, all the information that's coming at you. Question it. Do your own research. Um, and there's no better research than, you know, using your own body. Brilliant. Now, with that said, in terms of bodily feedback, mm -hmm. we had a conversation last time regarding period shits and the bodily feedback that hormones give us. And since then, mm -hmm. period shits have finally gotten a little bit of a spotlight with people like Dr. Jen Gunter writing about them in her book, The Vagina Bible. And, you know, Twitter went a little bit wild with that. Mm -hmm. But even when it comes to that, tuning into their system and resolving that, have you thought further about how people can better manage those? I think that with that 
And I, I think, you know, we might repeat a little bit from what we talked about in our first podcast, but, you know, reviewing information is never a bad thing. But the thing is that, like, when we're getting our period and when the hormones are all over the place, like, are a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction is to, like, eat those comfort foods and have, oh, I'm on my period, gotta have the chocolate. Oh, I'm on my period, gotta have the Miss Vicky salt vinegar chips. You know, having all of those comfort foods. But when we do have our period shits, those foods are not going to support that. So if there's any time that you want to even be more critical is like, don't just because society has also conditioned us to believe that, oh, you're on your period, you get to eat all the chocolate and all the chips and all of the, you know, comfort foods that you want, because you know, you're you're menstruating, like, we have to also critically think about that and say, actually, no, my body needs things right now that are more supporting to the hormones and more supporting to the digestion and so forth and energetically. So just being a little bit more critical at that time to not just like fall into old patterns and what people, you know, what we've been conditioned to think that our body needs at that time is a huge one. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Anchoring down into the things that really allow you to thrive will help you settle all of those symptoms, inflammation, and otherwise that go along with those hormone fluctuations. Absolutely. And I will be the first to admit, I love my fresh, organic, whole food produce, but I love salt and vinegar chips at the same time. So what I will say with that is I'm not going to pretend like I don't eat chips, not specifically on my period, but in general, but I'll go back to the comment that Dane said, a little bit is not bad but you don't need to eat it every day of your cycle, you know? So if you want to have a little bit of chocolate, have a little bit of chocolate, you know, here and there, but don't like go into the ice cream tub and eat the whole tub and like have a bag of chips every day. So I also want to be authentic and not pretend like I'm not a chip lover, but in moderation and just don't go crazy with that just because we've been told that, yep, it's okay for you at this time of the month for you to go, you know, haywire with all of those comfort foods. So again, little bit is fine, but if you have a lot of it, it's not supporting your hormonal health, your digestive health, your mood, all of that. Yeah. Healthy nutrition is about giving your body what it needs and then sprinkling some things that you want. You know, that's how you're going to maintain a good body composition and health over time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you want to have some chips when you're menstruating, that's amazing, but maybe also have some steak and some spinach to keep the iron up, you know, it's uh, a little back and forth, right? That's a big thing for me. You mentioned that too, is like, I eat some animal proteins, but red meat specifically, I tend to only eat when I'm on my menstrual cycle because of me tuning into my body. That's when my body actually wants it now. So like I save my like steaks and my burgers for that time because my body wants the iron and needs it and is going to use it at that time to best benefit me. So also tuning into that piece. And like you said, like having the mega chips is fine, but like, yes, the spinach, the steak, getting that iron in because that's what our body needs the most at that time is huge. And that's been something that I've noticed that my body actually craves it now. Like I don't crave so much the the junk food, if you will, but my body is like, go get your eight ounce steak stat. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a great example and really kind of summarizes a lot of the, the things we've been talking about on this podcast about tuning in. So mm-hmm. great example there. Now, Jackie, as you know, at the end of our podcast, we tend to ask a few questions. Mm-hmm. So we spoke to you just over a year ago. So in the past year and a bit, what is the most impactful book you've read? The most impactful book that I've read, I would say a book that I keep going back to is The Four Agreements. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's kind of a, a more of a spiritual book. My journey in the past 
few years has definitely been heavier on the spiritual side of things. And that Four Agreements book is like my Bible to life because it's just such a simple and clear message and very easy for people to adopt. And it's been kind of like a core of a lot of aspects of my life. So Four Agreements is probably one that I, and I keep going back to it. Nice. Amazing. Great suggestion. Second, what is your non-negotiable self-care tool or habit? Non-negotiable meditation and stretching in the morning. It's the first thing after I wake up, I put my mat out and I get into my meditation followed by some fascial stretching that I do, like some self-stretches. That's like a huge non-negotiable. Love that. Body scan in the morning and brain scan. Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest, as we were just like, the biggest message here is tuning in. What better way to tune into your body, like to get into the habit of tuning in than starting the day with tuning in? Like, it's my favorite. That's my non-negotiable for sure. Yeah, I do the same thing. Mm -hmm. We actually had a departure from that when we were away just because we were monitoring monitoring the situation um, to figure out if we could uh, still make it home <laughs> and uh for the course of those few days it's just a handful of days but the difference physically in tuning into the news first thing as opposed to tuning into like the body and keeping the phone off for a little while was pretty dramatic and i think a lot of people live in a slightly heightened state so they don't really notice that it's bothersome until they remove it for a little while in our case we'd had it gone for quite a long time and we put it back in for that specific time. And it was really not pleasant, necessary yeah. perhaps, but not pleasant. Yeah. Um, and getting yeah. onto that, coming back home was fantastic. So if you had five minutes with someone, what would be the one thing you would try and impart with them? Five minutes with someone, I would have them cooking more food from scratch, like getting in the kitchen and cooking more like wholesome food. Love that. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, where can people find you these days? You can find me in beautiful Costa Rica. Best ways to get in touch with me are definitely through email. I am on Instagram. I'm kind of there, but I don't kind of like actively post uh, too much things, especially for like the last while as I've been doing a lot of shifting of my own personal stuff. So it's there and you can contact me, but I also like to be honest with people and like if they go and expect me to see a post from me every day, that's definitely not going to happen. But I'm, I'm more of a very connected, like experienced person. That's why I love doing my retreats now as well. I love having that like very personal contact. So um, reaching out to me through whether it's Instagram, my handle is intuitarian lifestyle intuitarian underscore lifestyle email or direct message just like reach out to me and i would love to have conversations and help people on a one-to-one -one for sure amazing we love that too not very good yeah. with the daily posts but we, we move daily we speak to people daily but we certainly yeah. do not post daily nowhere close <laughs> yes no, i'm definitely i am reachable it's not like i'm tucked away in some remote place i am pretty remote but people can reach out to me. I'm always um, happy to have conversations with people, guide people in a certain direction and provide any help that I can in any which way. Um, and directly contacting me personally is the best way to do that. Amazing. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, the Intuitarian Lifestyle is uh, back for a second chat with us on the Move Daily Health podcast. So again, we hope you're enjoying your 
quarantine or isolation in Costa Rica. And uh, we look forward to seeing you the next time you uh, manage to get back to our beautiful Canada. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and uh, happy pooping, everybody. (laughs) Happy pooping. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.